welcome to Marysville Church of Christ, the teaching podcast. Today's sermon comes from Jeff Darby, entitled, A New Identity. After the moment that changed everything, that being the death of Stephen, the great martyr on the, the day of his stoning, the early church had to ask a question, a question that we've already spent a lot of time talking about, and that's the question of what will this new world look like that we're going to enter into? After that, they had to wrestle with a second question question that we too have discussed and talked about and that's the question of who will the new me be but the pressing question that remained through this was a collective question because even in this early stage they recognize something very very important about the nature of the church that the church is a collective that the church is a we and so the question had to be answered who will we be. You see, they had a lot of things that raised concern and doubts and worries in their minds. They'd lost one of the great leaders of their movement. They were confronted by a powerful uh, opposition, an opposition that came from uh, political forces, came from religious forces, came from cultural forces, and they found themselves very much on the run. This persecution had pressed them out of Jerusalem, and they were scattered all around the countryside. So what do you do in a situation like that? What did they do, and what did they find to be the next step in their lives? Well, we're going today to focus in on a little group of this dispersed uh, Christian community leaving from the persecution and fleeing, they settled in a city called Antioch. Something had transpired in the martyrdom of Stephen. In the killing of Stephen, the, those who wanted to stamp out the church and those who wanted to destroy the church had actually done something that they never could have guessed. And had they been given the choice, they never would have chosen because they helped this fledgling little community, especially this one that found themselves fleeing to this faraway city of Antioch, they, they helped them to forge four very important qualities, four very important aspects of who they were as Christians and what would define their faith, what would define their community of believers. Four things that we're going to note in this passage from Acts chapter 11. Jason just read this to us a moment ago, and we appreciate him doing so. Four things that I want us to be looking at for, uh, for our lesson today, and they are four things that were new. We're going to see, first of all, a new mission. We're going to see, second of all, a new commitment. We're going to see, third, a new passion. And we're going to see, fourth, a new identity. Let's look first at this idea of a new mission. You see, when these um, believers were chased out and they came to the city of Antioch, they were, well, they were faced with an all-new kind of situation because they were given an opportunity to minister to a new audience, to the Greeks. 
In verse 19, in verse 19 of this chapter, it tells us that uh, those who came from Jerusalem, the Jews, uh, taught only to the Jews. But we see that there are, in verse 20, some that came from Cyprus and Cyrene. And these are provinces that were uh, Greek provinces. And the people who came from Cyprus and came from Cyrene came to Antioch, and they began a ministry to the Greeks. And so what had been an almost exclusively Jewish uh, faith and ministry now was transformed into one that was reaching out to a broader community because of these people. And both of these groups, both those who were reaching out to Jews and both those who were reaching out to the Greeks, were finding a great success. You see, here's what's interesting is the mission really hadn't changed. Just in the same way that Jesus would say, a new command I give you, yet it's not a new command that you love one another. It's a restating, a reformulating of something that was old. The, the mission of the church is and always has been to proclaim Christ. And this was exactly what was done. But what here we see is that the Jewish Christians were given an opportunity to focus their mission on those that they could reach. And the Greek Christians were encouraged to focus their mission on those that they could reach. And these were the ones that they were uniquely positioned to make an impact on. And here's where it really gets fascinating when you stop to think about it. These Jewish converts immediately got to work. And look at what they were able to bring to bear. They were able to bring to this Jewish audience this common heritage, this, this, this uh, background of shared religion, these, these relationships, and they were able to, to leverage those in a proclamation of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, the Greeks had working to their advantage a similar kind of pattern. They had a shared history. A shared philosophical wiring that was meaningful. They had uh, similar cultural kinds of practices and, and, and affiliations that made it possible. You see, each one were working in the areas that they could to uniquely carry out the mission of Christ. That is a spectacular use of a new mission. Not a new mission, but a newly refocused mission. It reminded me of a story that I read this week, and it was... Um, it was a story that um, revolves around a, a writer. In 1849, Reverend William White wrote a narrative about African-American preachers in the early history of the United States. And he tells this one particular story of a preacher that was known only as Uncle Jack. And from here, just let me quote this little piece from the book. It says, Slave traders captured Jack from Africa when he was seven years old and sold him into slavery in Nottoway, Virginia. When he was 40, he heard a Presbyterian minister from Prince Edward County preach, and he became interested in religion. Reverend White wrote that once Jack had found religion, he wanted to read so badly, and he wanted to read so that he could study the Bible. So he convinced his master's children to teach him, and he promised to reward them for their pains with nuts and other fruits as tuition fees. Once he learned to read, he received his license from the Baptist church, and he began to preach. Now, in Nottoway, Virginia at this time, there were not many churches, and so Jack was often called to preach at a distance of more than 30 miles from his home. In this reading, it goes on to talk about how Uncle Jack was uh, responsible for the preaching to and the, the subsequent conversion of hundreds and thousands 
of slaves and former slaves. You see, what's interesting is Uncle Jack was uniquely positioned to be able to share the good news of Jesus Christ with an audience that others may not have been able to reach or desirous of reaching. And in many ways, I think that is the beauty of this particular section. That to each, a mission field is given. And what you bring to the table, your talents, your abilities, your skills, your shared understandings, your cultural connections, are a mission field that are uniquely yours. The Jews reached out to the Jews with whom they could share the message most effectively. The Greeks reached out to the Greeks with whom they had a unique opportunity to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And in the same way, you and I have a mission field. I will never be as successful in your mission field as you can be. And so we all need to share with this early church an understanding of what it means to have a new mission. But notice with me, what happens to the early church here? What happens to this, to this swelling resurgence that's taking place in the city of Antioch if either the Jews or the Greeks become apathetic or, or, or worn down or tired or uh, unwilling to, to serve in their ministry? Well, new mission. A refocusing on what you and you uniquely you can do and only you can do, is an important part of what we need to recognize is the lesson of this church. They each did their job. And that brings us to our second point, and our second point is a new commitment. They had a new commitment. I want us to consider for a moment what Paul says to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's a, it's a passage that we know. It's, it's not anything that is uh, um, a surprise or revelation to any one of us. But in this, he says, we're all one body and we have a job in keeping the body functioning. We have a job of make sure that we're maintaining what is necessary. And each and every part of the body is essential. Each and every part of the body is so necessary. And that if anything is wrong with any one part of the body, the whole body is made to feel it. And so it is that the church is supposed to be that. Think about it. In the church, if any one of us ceases to do our job, we as a church can never be as effective as we could be. And so it is with the Greeks and the Jews in the early church. Each had to do what they knew they could do and what uniquely each could only do. This idea of commitment is a movement from knowing what to do to actually doing it. It's easy for us to say that every part of the body is important, but it's another thing for us to recognize that we are parts of the body. It's easy for us to say that everybody's job is significant, but it's different for us to recognize that we must be diligent in pursuing and performing those things that are our responsibilities and opportunities. I read recently in a business book a story that was told by the two authors and they were um, interviewing this gentleman who was reported to be one of the foremost experts in the world on the art of piloting an airplane. And as they were interviewing him, he was able to tell them every single thing about the cockpit of every major airliner, every button, every knob, every control, every lever, every gauge. 
He could explain in great detail the mechanics, the, the aeronautics, the electronics, the physics of how flight took place. He knew absolutely everything that there was to know about all of those planes. And yet in the final summation, these two authors said neither of us would have stepped foot into a plane with him. Because at the end of the day, he wasn't a pilot. He had never done it. And I think that's really where commitment comes in. Commitment moves from, I know what I should be doing, to I know how to do it, and I do it. That is where the early church excelled. That's where this church absolutely made a unique difference, and they capitalized on this very simple truth. They knew what they could do, and they did it. To their new mission, they added a new commitment, and so should we. Third, I want you to notice with me that they had a new passion, a new passion. We see this in Acts chapter 11, verses 21 through 25. Uh, follow along with me as we um, read down through the, the, the first half or so of verse 25. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. And a report about them came to the attention of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and he saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he encouraged them all to remain true in the Lord with devoted hearts. Because he was a good man, he was full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a significant number of people were brought to the Lord. Notice this. Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. You see here what we have is a situation where this, this, this uh, passion that, that, um, that, that Barnabas recognizes and sees from this community of believers is such that it instills with him a fire that he also goes and becomes a part of that fire. That word fire is an important word. It's a long-standing tradition that when you talk about passion, the word, the word fire is one of those descriptive words that often is, uh, is used when we talk about passion. When we talk about uh, exuberance or enthusiasm, this, this idea of fire, a passionate love is a burning love. Uh, we talk about a person who has a passion for life, that they have a, a fire in their belly. We, we have a, a rousing speech in the locker room and the coach is, is said that he, he, he fired up the team. And this idea of passion and fire is something that uh, is true in many areas. It's, it's, true even in, it's true even in preaching. My boy uh, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, you all know my love affair with Spurgeon. Spurgeon famously said to preachers, that either you put fire in your sermon or put your sermon in the fire. What was he saying? Be passionate. We have a great message. We have a great opportunity. We have a great God and we have a great gospel. And because of that, we should have a great deal of passion and fire. You see, in contrast to that or, or maybe in concert with this, this passion was also hardship. The early church was facing unprecedented hardships. And these convictions that were being refined and, and were being, uh, were being um, reignited, this passion for the Lord was something that was taking place in a crucible. 
And the idea of a fire and a crucible, a picture of refinement, is also something that's frequently used in Scripture. The Bible says this through the pen of Zechariah. I will refine them like silver is refined, and I will assay them like gold is assayed. What God is saying here is that this, this imagery of how he's going to refine his people is similar to what a, 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 a metal worker does with metal in the fire. Metal has natural impurities in it that have to be burned out. We call it dross. And so the metal is put into a fire and that fire is a refining process where that dross is burned away and anything that is corrupting that metal is, is, is cast out of it. And in the same way, the refinement of the Lord in our lives, the, the fire of the Lord in our lives works in that way to remove those impurities and to refine and purify our souls. This is what happens in the Old Testament. With Israel, we see in Isaiah chapter 1, verses 22 and 25, Your silver has become like dross. Your beer is diluted with water. Verse 25, I will work my hands upon you. I will purify your dross with flux. I will remove your slag. He's saying this process of refinement, the, the fire that you're in, is simultaneously the difficulties and challenges and the passion that you are being imbibed with. And because of it, the complacency and the sin and all those things that are undesirable in my people are being burnt away. You see, when we lose sight of God and the process of refinement, when we lose sight of that passion and that fire that burns deep within us, it's easy for these kinds of complacent and apathetic attitudes to fall into our lives. But that's where... The refining challenges of a moment can really be beneficial to us as Christians. Zechariah, going back to that reading, talks about a, that, that other word, refining, but it also talks about a saying, a saying. And I have to tell you, that's a, a concept I knew nothing about before uh, reading more about this. It's a process that I didn't know about, but a saying is the process during refining, where the metal is constantly being evaluated. It's being watched. It's being carefully monitored for just the right moment that it can be removed and all of its dross has been burnt away. The metal worker has a very important job there to assay that metal, to watch it carefully. And in that same way, while we're being refined, while we're being refined, God indicates this process of the assayer is an important role. He gave that role to Isaiah, I'm sorry, to Jeremiah, when Jeremiah was uh, referred to this concept of refining metal. He said this, God says to him, I have made you like a metal assayer to examine my people like ore, to observe them and evaluate their ways. He said, I gave you a specific job. Because they were in a refining process. They were having the impurities cast away. And you were there to lead them through that. In the same way God is our refiner. And our assayer. 
He refines us in that he allows us to go into these difficult times and he uses the difficult times, those external fires that burn away the impurities and ignite within us the internal fires of passion for his goodness and his purpose. But he's also the assayer because he's watchful and careful. He recognizes that this is a challenging process and an unpleasant one for us. But he knows the goal that he has in hand. He knows what the end result is. And he knows the means by which he can bring us through those difficult times. It's really a beautiful picture. That God is both refining and monitoring. Carefully looking. Austin Phelps, a preacher of many, many generations ago, used to say the goldsmith is never far from the mouth of the furnace while his gold is in the fire. You see, it's sometimes when we find ourselves in these most difficult, challenging moments that God is actually the closest to us. He may feel far away, but I can promise you that he's there watching. He is a part of the process, bringing out from us that passion and fire and using that moment to refine away the impurities. He is the refiner. He is the assayer. And he is the one who brings us to the place we need to be. It's an Old Testament idea that's used many times, but a New Testament passage is the one that we most commonly associate with this kind of idea. Jesus' own brother, half-brother, James. James chapter 1 and verse 2 following, it says, My brothers and sisters, consider it nothing but joy when you fall into all sorts of trials because you know that the testing of your faith, it, in, it produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect effect so that you will be complete and perfect, not deficient in anything. What's he saying? So that you will be refined, so that you will be pure, so that you will not have the dross that has been burned away in that difficult time. But God is watching. God is refining. And that's what God's bringing us to as a collective people. The apathy has been burned away. The impurities are being burned away. And the challenging situations, while we might find ourselves in them and not desirous of them, have a great work upon our souls. And collectively, we're a better people. A better people for the process. What if this refined passion led us to changing and becoming more the people that God would have us to be. I would suggest to you that a fire without can lead to a fire within. A challenge external can become a fire within us. And I'll tell you that something that you already know, something that is not uh, limited to your experiences in your faith, but also in your everyday life. People are more interested to hear what you have to say when they can sense the passion that you have for it. And when you have passion for something, you're much more excited and interested in sharing that with others as well. Part of this refinement is bringing about that passion so that we can, as the early church did, share this good news of Jesus Christ in a powerful way. Our fourth and final point is a new identity. This collective group of Christians became something very new and exciting. 
that new mission, that new commitment, that new passion that ignited within the church at Antioch transformed them to such a point that they were deserving of a new identity. In the Bible, this idea of new identities is not something that's particularly new. It's something that we see oftentimes through Scripture. When, when some real big transformative kind of event takes place, it's common for a new name to be introduced. Abram is granted this enormous covenantal promise with God. And in doing so, he has his name changed to Abraham. Jacob wrestles with God very famously and has his name changed to Israel. So and so on we could go. Simon confesses Jesus Christ as the Lord, the Son of God. And he is changed to Peter. Saul on the, the road to Damascus has an interaction with Jesus Christ that changes forevermore the trajectory of his life and the history of the world. And Saul becomes Paul. So on we could go. These people also experienced a change that merited them a new name. Notice with me as it says in Acts chapter 11, in verse 26, the last part of that verse says, Now it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Christians. Isn't that exciting to think that here we are, how many thousands, almost 2,000 years later, and we're still carrying the name that was given back then. The name that was given first to this little fledgling group of Greek, handful of Greek converts and a handful of Jewish converts that, that were infused with a new mission, they were given a new commitment, that were inspired, impassioned with, with a new refining passion for the goodness of Jesus Christ and for the, the power of his message. And they were given a new collective name. And we still carry it. And we we proudly wear it even now. But let's think about what that name really means for a moment. Christian. Christian. Well, Christian, Christ, is the Greek derivative of the ancient Hebrew Jewish idea of the Messiah. The Messiah in Greek, the Christ. And so already two of these unifying features are coming together. And add to that the ending of the word. A Latin ending. A Latin ending of a Greek word with a Hebrew origin. And that idea of Christian is now representative of a name that is able to bridge political boundaries, cultural boundaries, ethnic boundaries, national boundaries, religious boundaries, and bring together under the name of Christ all those who are given a new mission, who accept a new commitment, who are enlivened with a new passion and are changing the world forever. The next few weeks will probably be a time of refining for us. Here at the Marysville Church of Christ, we are in a refining period, a challenging time. 
But what will we emerge as? What will we emerge as when this particular time of refinement is over? Will we be like the, the, the gold that has its dross removed and its apathy burned away? Will we be impassioned? Will we be bold? Will we recognize those unique opportunities that we've been given and will we move from knowing what those opportunities are to boldly striking out and taking advantage of them for the sake of the kingdom? The challenge is ours and the opportunity is before us. 